Welcome to Spotlight On, a new series produced by Excel, where we examine the technology shaping our world through conversations with the people building it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spotlight On. I'm Steve Laughlin, a partner at Excel, and uh, we're here with Dylan Fox and Sarah Idelson, my partner at Excel as well. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, uh, I'm Sarah Idelson, and Steve and I are thrilled to be here with Dylan Fox, the CEO and founder of Assembly AI. Yeah, thanks for having me here. I'm excited to chat with you guys. So before we dive into it, let's give our listeners a little context. You started Assembly AI in 2017. Yeah. Uh, Steve and I got involved in 2022 after leading the A and joining your board. Yep. And uh, man, it's been quite a ride as AI has come into the forefront. So we've got a lot to cover today. Yeah, I feel like more has happened in that period of time since I met you guys and you invested in the company compared to the beginning, like four years where we were trying to just figure it out. So it's been a it's been a crazy last two years. Maybe that's a good place to start. Can you talk a little bit about kind of running your company almost in the dark when no one was talking about AI and then how things kind of shifted for you yeah. in that moment? <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I took a job at Cisco in San Francisco. And um, fortunately I did because that's where I met my wife. And now we have two kids. So I took that job um, and I uh, started learning about neural networks and deep learning and just saw, this is like 2015 now, that that was it's totally the future for where the the technology was going. A lot of different domains were being were starting to be disrupted by deep learning approaches. So like where you would have classical machine learning models that had kind of plateaued <clears throat> from an accuracy perspective, these deep learning based approaches, which really were met these these uh, larger neural networks that were being trained for those tasks, started to show that, in some cases, they were at parity with these classical machine learning approaches, and and in some cases, were outperforming. And even if they were at parity, you could just tell, like, okay, we have barely scratched the surface. It's at parity with the old way of doing things. Like, this is absolutely the future. And so, the team that I was on at Cisco, we were looking into different machine learning products that we were going to build for the company, and. I just got deeper and deeper into neural networks and deep learning, so I don't want to take the question too off off tangent. But that's really where, uh, like, I I got started with my journey into AI. And then you started the company, and when you started it, what sort of reception did you have from the market, mm -hmm. and how did you maintain or build your conviction? Yeah, at, at the beginning, people thought I was crazy when I started the company back Sounds then. like a classic entrepreneurial journey. <laughs> people yeah. still think I'm, I'm, we're, yeah. we're crazy. And fortunately, you've met people along the way that don't think that yeah. like you guys. Yeah. Um, or that appreciate crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that Seeking guy. crazy. Yeah. I, I, remember, I, and I remember being in YC because we eventually got yeah. into Y Combinator and I was at some networking event and someone was like, like, how many people are you at the company? And I was like, it's just me right now. And they were like, you know, this other company that's working on it, they have like thousands of employees. Like, how are you going to do this thing. And so people just didn't believe that it was possible. But I think that what people missed was that the technology was turning over, you know? And so mm -hmm. the incumbents at the time had really built up their companies on old tech and then stopped innovating. And that left them ripe for disruption because new technology was about to be built that was going to be dramatically better. And that was really like the intuition. So, right. so classic innovators dilemma. In the I have not read the book yet, but I got okay. the, I got the recommendation online, yeah. and I need, I, I need to read it. Yeah. Um, 
Got but, it. But yeah, so at Cisco, yeah. I mean, really the intuition was we were building these uh, natural, natural language understanding products, and it was like this R&D team that I was on. Yeah. And we went out and looked to buy speech recognition software mm -hmm. because I, I don't exactly remember the date, but <clears throat> Alexa had just launched and it's kind of taking Amazon Alexa and it was mm -hmm. taking the world by storm. It was such a cool product. And there was this um, uh, interest by a lot of companies to build voice powered uh, interfaces into products. And so we were looking at that at my job. And through that process, we looked at a bunch of different companies that were selling speech recognition technology. And it was just like, as a developer, a terrible experience. One sent me a CD-ROM to try. You had to talk to like an army of salespeople just to get access to some sort of API documentation. A lot of vendors didn't even have an API. And then um, uh, when you did get access, the developer experience was just terrible. And I had been used to the Twilio or Stripe style developer experience. So really the idea was, okay, that experience was, the, the convergence idea of ideas was like <clears throat> that experience was terrible looking for an option. And I saw that the tech was a, was going through this uh, transformation yeah. and going to be a lot better. Mm -hmm. And so the ideas merged and the idea behind the company was what if you can build new speech recognition technology, leveraging the latest deep learning AI models, and then um, build an incredible developer experience and community around that and developer product around that just to enable the proliferation of the technology, get it into the hands of any type of organization, whether you're a big company or just a developer. And that's where we started. And so- um, We as in you. Yeah, me yeah, at yeah. the time, <laughs> at the yeah. time, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I quit my job. And it was just you. It was just, I quit my job to work on it. Yeah. Because I was super bored at my job. I'd and started- you got in Y Combinator as a solo founder. Yeah, like, yeah. so, uh, I was really bored at my job. Yeah, um, I had started a company prior in college, and so I knew I liked the yeah, adrenaline right. of startups. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I needed. I felt like okay, I did my my um, uh, kind of rest at a corporate job, mm -hmm. and, and now I need to like I need more adrenaline in my life. So I quit my job and I started working on assembly. And it, the YC deadline had passed. It was like thirty days past the deadline, but I wanted to try to just get my thoughts on paper for what I was trying to build. And so I filled out the application and I recorded the video and I submitted it and I just forgot about it because it was like 30 days past due, solo founder, I have zero progress, like there's no way I'm getting in. And I just started dating my uh, now wife who's from Denmark and so I submitted the application and then I went to Denmark with her because yeah. I was like, I'm just going to work on it from there and by myself. And then I got an email like, hey, we'd like to invite you to an interview. And I was in this remote town in Denmark. <laughs> So I, I showed my wife the email and I was like, I gotta go back to San Francisco. And so I booked the, a flight the next day. I flew back to San Francisco. I drove down to the YC office. My phone lost reception. I, so I was like trying to find the office. I was so uh, worried I was gonna be late for the interview because my, I, I my GPS like totally crapped out. Luckily, uh, made it to the office somehow and then met uh, this guy, Daniel Gross, who uh, had worked at Apple, totally understood the problem because he looked at speech recognition technology too when he worked at Apple. Um, and he believed in the opportunity and uh, ended up being our IC partner, investor in the company um, still. And that's really like what kicked off, kicked off the company in earnest. And then how did you, uh, or when did you start bringing people on the team? 
it was a lot of learning, like as a founder, yeah. uh, because I was, I, I worked on a startup before, but it was in college and it wasn't serious. And so the first year, um, you know, it was confusing to figure out who were the first people we needed to hire, uh, what we needed to focus on to actually get customers. And we just were kind of all over the place. Yeah. And then uh, eventually realized like, okay, really just got to focus on making the product better. And so started hiring a couple key um, hires, like the first engineers that that we brought on board. And so uh, the first like one or two hires were other machine learning engineers. We just focused on making our models better, the API better. Were you talking to customers at this time? The whole time. Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of so like- So you're like showing the model, it's not working, you're figuring out what to fix. <laughs> exactly. So and rinse and repeat. Yeah, I mean- yeah. Um, uh, you know, so you're saying it didn't work right out of the box. It was not. The first version of the product. It was not state of the art. Right, no. it was terrible. Right out yeah. of the box. And and mind you, this is also. But what kept you going then? Like, was it uh, the gap was closing, so you could see, hey, if we get this right, there's huge demand, so they keep meeting with us even though it's not working. Or what yeah, was the? I just had what was the experience because that might be helpful for the other entrepreneurs as they're out doing yeah. early customer development. I just had such conviction that there was such demand for this technology and the market wanted it to be better. Yeah. And there were so many things that people wanted to do, but they just couldn't because they didn't have access. The tech wasn't good enough yet. The state of the technology was not good enough yet. Um, and the analogy I always have used in my head is it's very much like self-driving cars. Like, you know, when there's full self-driving cars, there's a huge demand and market for that. And, um, it's it, it's not a question. It's just yeah. a matter of when the technology hits that certain point. And even today, there's still so much confusion and chaos around what the actual level of accuracy for this tech, AI technology is at. I mean, back when I started the company, people were claiming it was human level. You know, and that's like six and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's still not human level. And people still claim that it's human level. Yeah. The progress has dramatically improved. But part of back when we started the company was that uh, the state of the technology was just not that good and robust. So like some of the first models that we trained, they were trained on around 10,000 hours of uh, voice data. And that's compared to the model that we just shipped uh, a couple weeks ago, it's trained on over a million hours of voice data. And then the one we're gonna release in a couple of weeks is trained on uh, around 10 million hours of voice data. So just the size of models, the size of data, the level of capability of the models that we're training now. I mean, it is like literally night and day. If you just look at the output from the models five years ago to the models today, I mean, it's highly noticeable to a human, the level of uh, improvement in accuracy. And so part of it was in the early day, in the early days, it took us a lot of at bats to get something that was good enough to even sell. But once you got to that point, the market was very small back then because the tech wasn't mature, the tech like period, not just our tech. Tech in the um, in in the in the market was mm -hmm. just not mature enough yet for there to be widespread adoption. But you would talk, I would talk to customers, I would talk to startups, and you could just see that there was pent up demand, and um, that opportunity really kept really kept me and us going, and still does because now we're in this new phase of the market where technology's improved dramatically, but now in 2023, it's generative AI, right? So there's all these new AI applications being built. They're trying to leverage voice data. 
to improve uh, um, sales rep efficiency, to create action items from meetings, to automate podcast content redistribution, <clears throat> because now you have a large language model to be able to work with and you want to be able to take your voice data and push it into a large language model. And so that's uh, created a ton of tailwinds behind what we're doing and and uh, driven even more demand. So even back then, I think I just had conviction for where this was going and could see that. So you had that initial traction. I think that's about the time that you know you probably got the best entree into Excel, which is Sarah Edelson, who joined us as a partner. And I think mm-hmm. she was you two, weren't on two, the call. She was two was, weeks into yeah. <laughs> she was two weeks into being a partner at Excel, and I had COVID. Yeah, and I got sent this thing, and and quite frankly, like you see a lot of these companies, and so you know we always do our best to to keep an open mind about every company. But on paper, it was kind of like oh, another voice to text company. And then you know I told Sarah, hey, can you take a look at this? And she was super excited because when you're first starting, like every pitch is the most exciting pitch you've ever seen. And so, Sarah, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I, I, I sent it to you, and then you had a meeting. Yeah. Well, I vividly remember, yeah, Steve basically saying to me, hey, my whole family has COVID. Like, mm-hmm. I, we were going to take this call together. Like, you're going to take it yourself. I got to deal with this. And then we had this amazing first call. And you do sort of doubt yourself in your early days on the job where you're like, you know, am I just green or is this really something special? When even on my side too, when you called me, you said, this is great. And I go, Sarah, everything's great when you first get started. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I thought really deeply about it because I thought, man, Steve, you know, his whole family has COVID right now. He's dealing with a lot. The last thing I want to do is be like, I found this great thing. You know, I really want you to meet it. The bar was high. Uh, But I really walked away incredibly excited from our first conversation. And so I did. I went back to Steve and I was like, I just got here. Well, you got to meet it. And then I'm like, okay. So I met with you like a day or two later and I called Sarah back kind of raspy and was like, this one's really good. Like Dylan is really good. I think it was a combination of kind of the technology and the problem you're solving, but also we kept going back and forth about um, what a student of your own business you were. You just knew everything about what you were trying to do beyond the product, who your customers were, what problem you were solving for them, what made you distinct to your competitors. And so we basically said, we need to talk to him more. Like, so we just, I think we talked to you every day for like, you know, six to 10 days or something like that. And every time we get off the phone, we get, we're like, we got to find something wrong with this. <laughs> there, is a, there is a time when you're trying to talk yourself out of it yes. because you have to sort of be your own devil's advocate yeah. or that's a role that we play for each other. Mm-hmm. And so we were having these calls saying, you know, do you, you know, trying to talk each other out of it yeah. and then talking each other back into it. Uh, but I think to your point, Steve, when we met, what was really clear was it sort of it was so nascent and yet you really had sort of conviction of i've now spent these years getting it ready for prime time and it's now ready you mm-hmm. know you were this very small team and you were pretty clear on now's the time to put the foot on the gas mm-hmm. and so i don't know it may be interesting to talk about what was that turning point where you were like it's it's ready now to kind of really get this out into the wild well first off thank you for Uh, sharing all that. Uh, That's great. Tell me more. (laughs) That's great. So, um, but I I do remember getting intro to you. You hadn't even publicly uh, 
you know, changed your LinkedIn profile yet that you That's took right. the job. That's right. We hadn't so announced. I was like, who yeah. is this person that I'm about to talk to? I couldn't find any information. What a handoff um, to a stranger. Well, the, so. the other context, too, that's worth noting is it was before OpenAI was having its moment. Mm-hmm. And AI companies weren't kind of the, the kind of um, flavor of the day. It was, there was a lot of heat around automation, you know, vertical software, um, and it was in the middle of kind of this run-up of IT spend that was pretty intense before all the layoffs that happened in our ecosystem. And so, mm-hmm. you know, an AI company at that point was non-obvious. It um, wasn't an AI company. I mean, we, the term AI, mm-hmm. well, I mean, it was an AI company, but the term AI was- You were called Assembly AI, so <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you, weren't, you were not a dot org. But we, you know? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great point. Um, but we still talked about ourselves as a deep learning company. Mm, you know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you know, if you used AI that's fair. back yeah. then, people were like, this is probably not legit. You would right. say machine learning or deep learning. Um, intelligent, intelli- like intelligent right, software. Right. And, and yeah, then now, you things. know, it's AI and that's mainstream and that's uh, believable now and, and it carries weight. So the right. term has kind of shifted. But <clears throat> to your point, I think that, you know, I was a user of this technology for years mm-hmm. in my job. I remember getting the first Amazon Alexa and was just like, my mind was blown by the fact that I could sit across the room and dictate voice commands. And they were accurately... Um, they were accurately recognized and the power of that. And so I I was just a, um, I love the technology. And mm-hmm. so I was a user of it for years before I even started building assembly. And I, um, I, I worked on it in addition to being an actual user of it. Like I was building programs with the technology. So that experience plus the first couple of years of just trying to like stick the first landing, like wandering through the forest. I remember Another founder from Excel. But, but you never wavered from the problem. No. I think that's an no. important yeah. distinction for but it's like the path entrepreneurs is like that you if you really deeply understand the problem statement you're going after or you were the customer for the problem that you're solving, you can kind of have confidence that you're going in the right direction. Cause to your point, like if you solve it, there's a big payout yeah. at the end. Yeah. Um I think sometimes entrepreneurs don't really understand the problem or are trying to meet with customers as a proxy for deeply understanding the problem. And it just doesn't, you don't get there as fast as if you're authentic to the space that you're operating in. Mm, yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like the bar is you would have been a customer. Right. right. And, and we're still yeah. highly critical of the product we're building. We yeah. use it all the time internally. We've got an awesome team of uh, developer educators that are like our developer evangelists that are constantly shipping products with it. And they're in Slack, like this part sucks. This this is like bad experience. So we're we've always remained extremely objective around what we're building and and uh have always been constructively critical of what we're building, even back then. And so to your question around like the switch, I remember um we posted something on Hacker News, and then this guy from this company in Australia, who's the co-founder or CTO reached out and was like, hey, we're using Google's uh, speech API. It's fine. Um, but what you're doing seems really cool. And like, we'd love to kick the tires with it. <clears throat> and back then it was a wait list to use our API because it was really bad. So <laughs> we needed to like control the control the the, the blast radius. Um, we went back and forth for like two or three months iterating on the product until it was good enough for, for them to buy. Mm-hmm. And they ended up being 
um, a pretty big customer. And actually, they're still a customer. And they just renewed with us like all these years later for a much bigger contract. And um, I'm still in touch with the founder there. So it was that land. And then we landed another one that was kind of big like that. Mm -hmm. And then we landed a couple smaller customers. And we saw a lot of developers signing up. And so we just started to see that, okay, we've kind of crossed this threshold into the the space now where we can successfully repeatably go and sell this thing. And so now we just have to figure out like, okay, we're at 40% efficiency. You know what I mean? Like um, there's all these things that are broken with how we're going to market the product, our positioning, our website, our brand, like, but we're able to make some progress and we're able to have customers that are like moderately happy and um, that's able to, we're able to demonstrate that that's repeatable. And so that started to happen. And then 18, 18 months later, we raised the A with you guys. And so we had crossed the point where we now had uh, uh, like more than doubled year over year. And we showed that we had started to build up all this pipeline. We were still really small. Uh, really small team. So I think we we're like 15 people or something mm -hmm. when we met <clears throat> you guys and when you came on board. Mm -hmm. And then it's just been about um, maturing and maturing from there. And that's why really, you know, when you, going back to the opening, I, I genuinely feel like the time since we raised our Series A, which was January 2022 to now, like significantly more has happened. <laughs> I mean, obviously, because companies grow and more people, but mm -hmm. so much more radical changes happen than the first uh, chapter of the company. We're really just like wandering through the forest, trying to find the path up the hill. You were making the point that at the time, AI companies weren't kind of like the topic du jour and, and actually the key being entrepreneurs who kind of know the problem and know their space. And so much of my recollection of that conversation was really about all the data that's sort of trapped in audio, mm -hmm. you know, and what value you could create if you could extract that data and sort of create a bunch of, you know, experiences leveraging it. Right. And it was really a precision around sort of that opportunity that this data is sort of needs to be unlocked. Yeah, I've never really even liked the term transcription, to be honest with you, because that almost minimizes the the value of what we're doing. And the value is really said this to you this morning, it's taking this voice data and turning it into something valuable. That might be uh, a command that you say that turns on music. That might be finding issues that are happening in your contact center, in your call center, from your customers calling in your 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 customer support reps. That might be um, automating meeting notes. I mean, we've got hundreds of startups that are building AI note takers with our API and like rapidly growing their user base because such a valuable product that they're that they're building, content repurposing apps, internal workflows that are being built leveraging this tech. So it's really about being able to take this voice data that is really locked away because you can't you know kind of probe at it and turn it into something that you can actually create value with, and that's accelerated so much over the last six months after the launch of ChatGPT and large language models really taking the world by storm because now so many people are trying to build AI applications that leverage large language models and push all their application data into that workflow or that pipeline they're building. <clears throat> and a large part of that application data for most applications contains voice, contains audio. And we're really um, emerging as like the best way to to plug that gap and to build that 
that that part of your workflow out. But you're you're also really making it easier for developers at the end of the day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not just voice to value. It's um, taking voice and allowing the value comes from making it incredibly easy to develop new applications and embed it in your software, which is kind of taking it's not really AI is one driver, but the other is just the idea that, you know, APIs are everywhere yeah. and the ability to kind of develop quickly um, and not have to build everything yourself um, inside your application. They can leverage you, yeah, uh, which is part of your original vision to be like a Stripe or a Twilio. Right. I mean, I, yeah. I still, you know, I'm reminded about uh, Twilio and you, you hear examples of customers that, I mean, it was like GroupMe and Uber just started as like um, like a small startup customers of Twilio. And then I think when they IPO'd, Uber was like a significant portion of Twilio's revenue. And uh, our, our VP of DevRel worked at Twilio for like eight years. I think he joined at their like Series B or Series C and would talk all the time about these big companies. Um, some developer somewhere would just start building something. It would get a lot of traction internally, get shipped to production. And Twilio was brought along for the ride and then mm -hmm. turned into this huge contract organically. And we see that. So we see right now a lot of startups just come to our API. They just go to our website. They implement our API into their product. And then like three months later, they're taking off. And um, so is their spend with us. And that's amazing to see. We also see at large companies. I was at a AWS conference and someone came up to me. I won't share the company just so I don't like docs this guy, but, but someone came up to me from the you large can share. company and, and someone, we'll bring him on spotlight on. <laughs> yeah. Someone came up from me, to me from this large company and he was like, Hey, I've been building this thing for our company with assembly. It's just a prototype, but like we're building out this internal workflow with your API. And I was talking to him about what he was building and that's the beauty of who was him again. Sorry. I just, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the beauty of like, of, uh, of, uh, of, of building, um, a really good developer experience. Yeah. So we're, we really take that part of what we're building seriously. Like we want the technology to be amazing. You know, we want to create superhuman AI systems that can understand human speech. And like, we believe we can do that and not in some crazy amount of time, but in the next like 12 to 18 months, we think that the technology exists and the momentum that we've been building exists to achieve that. And we want to wrap that up in an amazing developer experience so that <clears throat> hackathon student or a Fortune 100 can get access to what we're creating and quickly embed it into the application that they're creating and do that without even talking to us if they don't want to. If you're the Fortune 100, our salespeople might come at you <laughs> and then try to get you on a call, but you don't have to talk to them. You can just pay as you go. What has it been like during this moment where AI is exploding and you're truly one of these core you know, you have your own models, everything, yeah. incredible amounts of data. Then you have a lot of applications being built on top and sort of delivering that, you know, last mile for a particular use case that they really understand. Like, what, what's been your experience at that sort of AI infrastructure layer during this explosion of new companies in the space? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, so on one hand, there's so much confusion and chaos out there right now. I mean, if you go on Twitter, it's like, it's chaos, right? Like uh, to, to figure out what's truth and what's false. And um, there's a lot of like AI influencers now on Twitter and with YouTube channels. And so it's really hard to figure out like what's reality. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have an increased 
like honestly marketing challenge to really educate and differentiate like here's who we are here's what we're building why it's differentiated and being able to cut through the noise is more important now than it ever has been before especially because the opportunity is so much clearer now than it was a couple of years ago when we started the company and so we have a lot of people jumping at it but to your point you know i think that we've been thinking about this for a long time talking to customers understanding the market our technology and we've also been building a ton of stuff over the last couple of years we weren't just like sitting in an office like chatting about the opportunity like we we're building we're doing stuff and that has compounded to give us the ability to move faster today so we've got momentum behind what we're doing and i think it's even more important now than ever before they were able to cut through the noise and really educate differentiate like tell our story and then i think the other thing is that there's genuinely new applications being built and shipped that are driving a ton of value to end users and so i think of one of our longtime customers CallRail. talk to you guys about them a lot they have this conversational AI platform for 100,000 plus small businesses across the country. And they help those small business owners run better businesses by helping them understand the phone calls that are coming into their business. What type of services are people asking for quotes around? How are people finding out about the small business? And the small business owners able to leverage all that insight that AI is delivering to them to be able to run better and more efficient small businesses. And that is incredible. And as you extrapolate out what's happening in the broader um, category and how you know AI is an enabling technology for a bunch of different businesses, whether it's um, what you guys are doing to help uh, create value from voice for a developer and embed that in their applications, we have everything that's happening in the general large language model um, kind of area. Who wins and loses kind of going forward over the next year or two, three years? Um, because right now we're definitely in a hype cycle, but what do you think is durable and where do you think we're going to see disruptions going forward? And what should, what should we be looking for? As investors or just us? Uh, maybe maybe both. Like I, I think more on, you know, you think about like impact in the world. So for example, you guys are going to have an impact because small businesses are not going to have access within these applications that they're using to leverage AI. And they might not even know it's AI. They might mm -hmm. just think it's, a conversational experience and they don't know that models are run underneath it yeah. that are trained on a hundred million hours worth of voice. Um, but how, you know, how are different sectors going to change and, and are incumbents going to win? Are we going to see kind of a plethora of net yeah. new companies that are going to disrupt incumbents? It's hard to kind of think through all this stuff. I mean, we obviously all have opinions on it, but, um, you as a builder, um, what do you, what do you see that's like kind of non-obvious? What are some of the more, non-obvious kind of nuanced so areas here. I think that genuinely the AI technology that's being built right now will impact every single organization and business and like consumer over the next couple of years. Like mm -hmm. you will have an AI assistant on your phone, on your laptop that's private to you that you can interact with like ChatGPT. Right, like and you did that today on your emails, you were saying. Exactly, like, where it's like, like I, yeah. I run like Llama 2 on my, lap, on my MacBook right. Pro, right. right? And like use it as a writing assistant. But that's, things, today, right? that's you have to be technical <laughs> enough to download it Wire and do it, it together. But, exactly. but in the future, it'll just exist inside your email or inside yeah. your device or there, something. There, I mean, it'll be like of. in your OS, like yep. on your desktop, yep. on your iPhone. Microsoft's even work, I mean, I think they, they um, previewed this, the like co-pilot for Windows that can yep. interact with 
the apps you're running on Windows. So every every consumer will have that. Um, AI will be a part of every single application, you know, for businesses, for consumers, like for workflows, like, and companies that don't um, adopt AI technology for making their employees more productive, making their workflows more productive, making their products more differentiated, like uh, they're they're going to fall behind and they're not going to be able to compete. So I, I believe that's true, like for sure. At the same time, a lot of what we talk about is that I do think there is a little bit, I mean, for sure there's like a, a hype cycle right now, right? And you, you can't see me if you're listening to this, but like, um, imagine a big circle. What we talk about a lot internally. Is How that, big is the circle? So, so imagine <laughs> a large precise. pizza. Okay. Right. Got it. I Got think it. that, you know, um, in, 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 over the next like two years, there's gonna, we're going to see applications that, um, people think are possible to ship today that are actually not possible or not good enough yet. And the pizza is going to turn into like a medium sized pizza from a market value perspective. Yep. Still like uh, a medium pizza that didn't exist before, right? So it's like, it's great. You can eat and you can get full and like, it's amazing. Yep. But um, the the large pizza is going to shrink down a little bit. And I think that- um, You really were an economist before you were an engineer. This is really good. I don't know if this is a good analogy. Pizzanomics but, um, by Dylan I'm, I'm Fox. Thinking, I'm I like it. I'm thinking on the fly here. So, yeah. so, You're doing great. Uh, you know, I think the the split that people struggle to make is like, the AI hype that has happened over the last couple yeah. of years is incredible. Is 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 uh, justified because large language models, speech AI technology, um, vision technology, self driving cars like those things are tangible. They're they're real. Yeah. But then there's this other conversation that starts to kind of come in, which is like AI safety and AGI, and it's like okay, so where we're at today, that means like so how long until this robot is like folding my laundry and like inside my brain, <laughs> you yep. know, like, yeah. and that's like very fast jump that I think, yeah, people are going to keep working on AI and eventually we're going to have AGI systems, but is it a year out? Is it 10 years out? You know, how long have we been talking about self-driving cars being like right around the corner and there's still progress. So, so is it safe to say we're like in this period of iteration where kind of like when the iPhone first launched and mobile, the app store was open, there was tons of apps mm -hmm. and some of them really like Uber and others like persisted and became dominant in their category and transformed a category. Mm -hmm. And then a bunch of them like were experiments that didn't work. So we're going to just see this you'll, explosion of experiments, yes. which is kind of what you're seeing in your customer base. Yeah. You'll, too. you'll yeah. see that with this wave of AI yeah. technology, but there will need to be genuinely new AI discoveries to yep. get us closer to AGI, right? Like when you think of planning and I mean, you were talking to um, Steve, you were talking to Dominic, our, our VP of engineering yes. today, and he worked at DeepMind and was telling you about conversations he was having with some leading AI researchers there around like the things that we would need to solve to be able to get closer to AGI. And I think that there's an incredible amount of smart people working on AI right now. I mean, like everyone is working on AI, so we're gonna see more breakthroughs, but um, there are still new discoveries that have to happen and yep. new discoveries. I mean, you can't put a time frame on them. You can't typical engineering, you know, you just kind of break the problem down like, okay, we need X, Y, and Z. And then at the end we're going to be done. And that might take two years or two months. Like you can break down the work and then you can figure out the timeline. But when you have to discover new things, you don't know what kind of timeline you're working on. Yep. Now you can, 
go down the path of saying, okay, we're going to continue to scale up models, but you know, that might, might run out of runway there with that thread. So I think that there's a ton of value being created with the AI technology that works today. And I think that to your point, we're going to see like a proliferation of apps and services and features that are going to be durable and that are going to stick with consumers and businesses. And that's going to unlock like incredible new TAMs and markets. A lot of times we have customers that come in and they want to build these crazy things. And, yep. but it's like, okay, that's actually not possible. Well, that's, that's what I think. <laughs> um, I think you're right. Like a lot of discoveries come from experimentation yeah. in anything. It doesn't matter. And so we're, we have these building blocks that are enabling the experiments and we're going to have to observe the results of those. There's like consumer applications where I think that there's a lot of product market fit that has to be figured out yeah. for consumer applications, right? Like how long will you pay for a chat GPT subscription? Will you pay for AI upgrade and I don't know what, like whatever app you use. Mm -hmm. But I think what you're going to see is like behind the scenes, AI is going to be integrated into like so many workflows and automation workflows. So mm -hmm. a lot of our users and customers are automating trust and safety workflows, content moderation workflows, advertising workflows, so many BI and internal tool workflows, and they're pulling AI into those uh, automation workflows to automate large parts of their business, to make parts of their business more efficient, to scale, to reduce costs. Mm -hmm. Like you will see AI tech like for sure implemented into so many of those types of applications because there's just such clear ROI. I mean, mm -hmm. I think of some of our users that are building apps that suck in customer support calls and their customers, like their end users that they sell their product to log in and they're like, whoa, we didn't know that this problem existed with our customer base. Like, like we didn't know that that existed before. So it's like immediate ROI. Mm -hmm. So you're going to see a lot of that happen behind the scenes. It might not be as visible to you to consumer. I think the consumer app uh, durability, I mean, that's that kind of that's hard to predict out because who could have predicted like Instagram or consumer apps in general, right? So I think that there's there's going to be huge AI consumer apps that are built, and ChatGPT is arguably like the first one. Um, Midjourney too, for example. Yep. But it, you're you're going to continue to see, in my opinion, those those uh, come out. Yeah, that you can't imagine. That you can't like, think of. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's going to be a combination of like right. using the tech for something new and creative, and like mashing it with a cool user experience to solve a fun or cool problem. Like, I mean, Midjourney, it's a Discord bot still, you know, but it has millions and millions of users and paying customers and it's unlocking this like creative kind of urge that people have. And so I think that it's going to be a like creative product founders leveraging this AI technology to build these new consumer experiences that it's hard to predict. Mm -hmm. You're uniquely in this spot where you have large incumbents with, you know, devs internally tinkering and building things with assembly AI. And then you also have these new emerging challengers, maybe in the same space, also building on assembly AI. What do you think is going to be determining of, you know, whether incumbents or new challengers win in a category? Um, and is part of how they approach and incorporate AI going to be a core differentiator? The more they spend with assembly AI, the higher probability <laughs> yeah. of success. So, like, yeah, how should incumbents think about it? And sure. then, if you're the upstart, how should they think about? Very, it's actually a very good question. How much time do I have to answer this question? Um, so, I, I think part of what you're at, part of what you're asking is like a um, build versus buy question a little bit is what comes to mind. I think that incumbents, let's let's just say large organizations. I think large organizations think 
okay, we have like a hundred engineers, this big budget, let's just go and start to work on this. Um, startups and smaller companies, they're like, we need to go buy this technology through an API, through you know what, whatever. The technology is turning over so quickly and requires such specialized skill sets and knowledge that really don't exist like broadly yet. I mean, they will, but they don't exist broadly yet. That it's, in my opinion, a disadvantage to try to build AI technology in-house right now, unless you are going to commit to really like in perpetuity, making that a competency of your organization. So that means like competing for the best AI talent, setting up training and like, and staying ahead of the curve as new technology comes out. And so I, when I talk to founders and customers, I am of the mind at least today, right? It's like, if you're trying to ship an AI product or experience today or workflow, I don't care if you buy from us or not, but you should buy as part of your strategy because you need to figure out product market fit. You need to iterate. And if you spend nine months building something and deploying it and then finding out you don't have product market fit, well, then you need to go do that all over again. And by the time you do that, like your competitors eat in your lunch because they shipped in two months because they used an API or they just went to an AI um, uh, vendor or service provider to buy the technology and build the workflow and the automation around it. Yes, there's security that comes up and data privacy, which is why organizations think, okay, we're going to build, but there's ways to solve for that, like private cloud deployments on-prem. Um, uh, Amazon has this thing called like Bedrock now. So there, there's ways to solve for that problem. In my opinion, I think that building, it, it just if you're talking about today, competing in the market, shipping something is not a good strategy to be competitive, to move quickly. I think... Um, and, and that is an advantage that the startups have because they default to buying and just quickly shipping stuff versus large organizations that are like, okay, let's try to build something. Like, let's maybe make this part of our core competency, but they don't understand the space or the problem enough to really like make that decision. <clears throat> and so I think that you'll see startups be able to move faster. Mm -hmm. The goal will be like a massive user base and customer base fast enough for the incumbents take two years to build something and ship it to their user base. And hopefully what you've built has better product market fit and is faster uh, uh, and is better, you know, so that it's, it's, uh, it's sticky. So I think that's one observation that we're seeing play out um, as a lot of these new applications are coming online. Thank you so much, Dylan. This has been a blast spending time with you and talking about all the exciting things happening in AI. Uh, it's hard for me to think of a better person to spend the afternoon sort of parsing everything that's going on. And so uh, thank you for sharing it with all of our Spotlight On listeners. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. On the next episode of Spotlight On AI, Pete Clark, that's me, talent partner at Excel, will be chatting with my friend Dan Sturman, the CTO of Roblox. Everything we do, and I think this is important, is in service of enabling our users, our creators to be more successful on the platform. 